Okay, hi guys. Um, so, as we've looked at already, we're looking at Micah 6, verses 1 to 8. Um, Joe's already given you a brief overview, Chapel Town guys, of, uh, of what we've been looking at so far. But we're just going to get stuck in straight away and uh, learn some really amazing truths from this passage. Okay, so in chapter 1, we talked about idolatry, which is worshipping other things apart from God. This is not simply rule-breaking, but heartbreaking. This breaks God's heart and breaks our relationship with him. We have heard the case of the Lord against Israel. The rulers in Micah's time have acted unjustly and have broken God's commands. What we're going to look at now is the beginning of courtroom, courtroom scene number three. It focuses on the Israelites' relationship with the Lord. And it has a lot to say about our relationship with him as well. So, can we go verses 1 to 3? So, we're just going to read it to you again. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. So this is a plea from the very heart of God. His heart has been broken by his people's rejection of him. His people have become tired and weary of him and his commands, bored of being his followers. God is saying to them, What have I done or failed to do to bring about such a lack of interest? They have become bored with the mechanics and routine of worship. It is a chore and a weariness. They have turned from their Lord to idols. This is because worship without relationship is a chore. It does produce weariness. They have lost the plot and the passion. And this is why they see it as a charade. Because it is. I wonder, do we ever feel like this in our lives as Christians? Do we ever feel like we've lost the plot, we've lost the passion for being Christians? The Israelites have forgotten God and forgotten the miraculous works that he has done for them. How he brought them into relationship with him. And so in the next few verses, God reminds them of the righteous acts of the Lord as we'll see in verse 5. Who he is and who they are in relation to him. He reminds them of several key times in history where they walked closely hand in hand. His act of rescue, his provision of leadership and his constant protection. Can we go on? Next slide. So rescue. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Just the mention of Egypt by God here will have instantly reminded the Israelites of the incredible release from slavery that God performed all those years previously. The time that he rescued them with a mighty hand and with power and made them a people of of his own. And they would have celebrated this year after year in the Passover festival. So, so, just want to go into your groups. 
Um, look at your timeline that we were going, that we drew just now. So, when did God first call you out of your metaphorical Egypt, your slavery to sin? Everybody's experience of this will be different, but this does not make it any less incredible that we are all now Christian and we've been rescued. How often do we remind ourselves of this? And if he hasn't rescued you yet, if you're not yet a Christian, think about what's holding you back. Think of Egypt. Think of the story of Egypt, the incredible, just mind-blowing ways that God got his people out of Egypt. God achieved his purposes in that situation by many different ways. Think of how many people or circumstances fell together for you to come back to him. And we'll just do a little bit of discussion in groups. That's great. So if you could just be, keep thinking about that, it's really encouraging to share each other's testimonies um, and to see what God's been doing in each other's lives. Um, so the next thing that God reminds them about is leadership. Um, he says, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. As if rescue wasn't enough, God also reminds the people of the leaders that he put in place for the people. Leaders who were led by God in relationship with him so that they weren't left wondrous, wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. Leaders to point them to God. Leadership in Micah's time left a lot to be desired, as we've looked at previously. There were no inspirational leaders, no role models, no one but Micah who was speaking God's true word to the people. So if we just have another look at our timelines and just talk about the leaders who have helped us to stay on track as a Christian, um, why were or are they so inspirational? I'll just give like a couple of minutes for that. So I hope that was enough time to talk about all the qualities of your inspirational leaders as shown in the beautiful pictures over here. So the next thing God reminds them about is protection. Um, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So these next few verses might seem a little bit strange for us who don't necessarily know our Bibles all that well. But Micah's hearers knew the stories and knew exactly what was meant by each and every word. Um, can you put it on to the next one? So this is from Joshua 24, verses 9 to 10. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. So Balak wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites, but God went to great lengths to stop this happening. He even spoke through a donkey. If you want to have a look at it, it's in numbers. Um, so then Shittim to Gilgal, these few words would have reminded its hearers of the triumphant journey into God's promised land, negotiating the rushing waters of the Jordan to arrive safely in Gilgal, and the stories are in Joshua. This was not an isolated incident, however. Throughout the book of Joshua, God regularly performs acts of salvation. 
God is not just saying to remember these things, to bring them to mind, and then just to forget about them. He is calling us to know his saving acts, to know them in our hearts, not simply an intellectual awareness of them. It's only by regularly bringing to mind and burying them in our hearts, these saving acts, that this will bring constant renewal to our relationship with him in faith, hope, and love. So another just little bit of group time. Um, How has God led you through wilderness times? So these are the low points on your timeline. Um, This can be quite sensitive, so um, if you don't want to be talking about it openly, then that's fair enough. But um, I think it can be really helpful. Um, So how did he lead you in those wilderness times, and how did he bring you out of them? So just in your groups. That's great. I hope you've been really encouraged um, talking about all these things that we've written on our timelines. Um, So we've heard about God providing leaders, rescuing us, and um, protecting us. So what is our response? What do we need to do? In verses 1 to 5, we have seen that the Lord of the universe... The Lord, who is like no other, has a case against us. We have broken his heart with our rejection of him, our sin and idolatry. And justice needs to be done. But can justice be done that leads to life and not death, to a restored relationship with the Lord? What can be done? What sacrifice will do? Maybe a religious act of sacrifice such as burnt offerings. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? In the money-mad world of Micah, as we heard about in Ben's talk on chapter 3, Everybody had their price. Why not God? But the realisation comes that even the most richest and most elaborate burnt offerings will not work to do away with this sin. Quantities of transgressions cannot be cancelled out by an equally large quantity of sacrifices. We might know this already, but how often do we do otherwise? How often do we think we need to be really good or successful or kind? Or think that we are only worthy of God if we do our quiet times every day? These are all good things, but they aren't what will save us. They aren't sufficient. Can you put the next one? It then goes on to say, Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He knows what is demanded, a life for a life, blood spilt to atone for his sin. He thinks of the closest living thing to him, his offspring. The giving of your eldest child is the ultimate sacrifice. But the fruit of his body could have no impact on the sin of his soul. Again, it simply isn't enough. In Micah's day, the question was left unanswered. It's left hanging. 
Nothing could be found to fully and completely atone for the people's sin. But we, as people living in the light of the New Testament, of Jesus' coming, we know that Jesus is the only one that can solve this problem. He is the answer to the unanswered question. His blood was spilt for us so that we can be in relationship with God. So, what does God ask of us? Can we put the next? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What does this mean? God wants us to know him, to live in relationship with him. All three commands are intimately connected. It is only by doing the third, by walking humbly with our God, that we fully understand what it is to do justice and to love mercy. It is by knowing him more deeply as we walk closely with him that we understand justice and mercy because these are key qualities of our God. If we do not walk humbly with God, then it is unlikely that we'll be able to walk humbly with other people. Have you, have you ever had a good friend that you spend a lot of time with? Do you start to find themselves talking like them, acting like them, loving what they love? This is how it should be with God. This is what he is saying to us here. The more time we spend with him, getting to know his heart, the more we will become like him, and we will love what he loves. Things such as mercy and compassion. And if we love mercy and compassion, then we cannot help but to act justly towards others. The attitude drives the action. God is using Micah to call us back into relationship with him, understanding that we have broken his heart with our sin and knowing that Jesus' death is the only thing that can bring us back into right relationship with him, walking side by side. He calls us to a relationship walking so closely with Jesus that we are starting to look like him more each day so that we can't help but to do justice and to love mercy as we are walking humbly with our God. So we've just got um, another little slide. So, so just a little bit more group time and um, prayer to end. So think of your walk with God. How closely are you walking beside him? Um, so we pray and thank him for the journey he is taking you on so far. His righteous acts. Thank him for Jesus. Um, and think and pray for situations where you can be acting justly and loving mercy. And pray for a deeper, closer walk with Jesus. So, we need to pray now.